Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every two weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For the 16th episode I talked to Krish Supramanian, co-founder of Chargebee, one of the leading payment platforms out there that powers subscription businesses. In the past year Krish has doubled the size of his company to 150 employees and his plans don't stop there. He wants to go beyond payments and power all aspects of a subscription relationship. We talk about his backstory, why he got started on Chargebee, how he manages his fast-growing company and keeps the vision clear, and what his typical working day as a CEO exactly looks like. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Krish, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hey Joan, uh, nice to uh, join you on Founder Coffee as well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you're the founder of Chargebee. Uh, for those who haven't heard of Chargebee or your uh, your impressive uh, recent funding rounds, what do you guys do? Right. <laughs> so Chargebee specializes in subscription management and recurring billing. We um, provide a recurring billing engine on top of payment gateways like Stripe, Braintree, PayPal, uh, providing that one degree of separation from payments and provide the billing intelligence as an API layer. Uh, yeah. So recently, we got funded by um, Inside Venture Partners. They led our growth uh, round of funding um, with participation from existing investors, Tiger Global and Axel Partners. So this was an $18 million round of funding. We just closed, we announced a round of funding in Feb or early March. Cool. Well, why, why do people give you so much money, you think? <laughs> Uh, why do people give you? Well, well, because we ask. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and why did you ask? Uh, why did we ask? That's a good question. Why did we ask? I think the um, the progress and we have made over a period of time, right? Uh, so between the two rounds of funding, it's ki- kind of slightly abnormal for a typical venture funded company, right? So we are funded by Axel and Tiger. The two rounds of funding, the typical cycle that people talk about is like eighteen to twenty four months, right? So mm-hmm. between the previous round of funding, which was our $5 million round, and now, which is $18 million round, it was a three-year time frame. And uh, why now um, is uh, the, the fact that one we wanted a gestation period necessary to believe that we have the right product that was scaling. Mm-hmm. And also the timing had to be right in terms of uh, being able to scale with the market. Right? We... we we believe that one, we, we took the time to, between the previous round, to building the right product that can control your scale. And then once the metrics made sense where uh, the cohort of customers who we were growing with was growing well, and our customers were growing well, which were indication that uh, we were having the, serving the right type of customers. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a series of things coming together. Uh, and then we felt that, okay, now was the time to actually accelerate uh, and uh, Precipital, so to say, right? Um, and it made sense. A uh, lot of things coming together made sense to actually tell the world that now Charge B is ready to serve the world. And yeah. uh, that's the reason why we started talking to a bunch of investors to explore. And uh, we found that Insight is somebody who have like a full portfolio of the who's who in SaaS universe. And uh, the the entire conversation was like a really good learning experience. So we thought we could learn the playbook with them and then help and uh, build a really great company together and yeah 
I guess that's the reason. Yeah. And and just will most of that money be spent in uh, in India then, or will it be spent somewhere else? Because I imagine that if you can make costs of 18 million in uh, in India, that must be a huge amount of money. <laughs> uh, well, let's just say that it will be spent on Charge B, right? I think Charge B as a product is uh, serving customers in 53 countries. We have a team in San Francisco, right? We are a US uh, C-Corp delivery company with uh, India set up as a technical subsidiary. But having said that, because the home is Chennai, the bulk of the team operates out of Chennai with uh, lean presence in San Francisco. And we are now expanding the team to places where we are closer to our customers. So this will be used for one product innovation um, spent uh, in uh, largely in product-related investment but definitely in more customer-facing roles uh, closer to our customer space, so which means that yeah, we are looking at expanding our presence in different parts of the world where we have 30% customer base uh, in Europe and we are getting closer to, we are thinking of actually setting up an office somewhere in Ireland or Berlin or one of those places. Similarly, or Antwerp, maybe. Ah, yes, right, Antwerp, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, you have you are there for hiring competition, right? I we need to get some good talents now. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're prepping the developers here for you. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah. So the the answer is yes. Uh, we are looking at uh, um, hopefully expanding the team presence in different parts of the world. Yeah, that's what the investment will go into. Is this uh, your first uh, startup or? Uh, yes, it is. Um, so before this, uh, I worked in different companies for, for over 10 years. I worked in mostly B2B space, uh, but in enterprise uh, companies, mostly mm-hmm. in service implementations. My co-founders come from uh, pure product background, building products from the days of network management systems through uh, the SaaS journey from 2006 as part of the Zoho, um, when they were part of the early Zoho team. And uh, this is our first company. So for over seven, eight years, we have been talking about wanting to start up. So one of the co-founders, so there are four of us who started the company. One of them Mm -hmm. was my college classmate during engineering days. I did my BE engineering in computer science. And uh, we, so one of them was my classmate. So we we had been talking about wanting to start up for a long time. And we were saving up money to build a company together at some point of time. And it still took a very long time to actually feel that it's right the time was right and we can take a leap of faith to quit and start mm-hmm. um, yeah i think it's a convergence of multiple things right one SaaS, we could see that that was coming together in the early part of 2010 um, we could see that that was coming together aws and heroku engineer they were making the cost of starting up from anywhere lower and lower and uh, pretty much everybody was building some kind of a recurring revenue model which means that the days of uh, a paypal or a card-based payments or one-time payments was becoming, uh, the systems which are support, used to supporting one-time payments was becoming more and more relevant. So it was um, I, it was not an idea-first company. It was more of a team-first. We just wanted to build a company together, figure out what it takes to actually build a company together with our own money. And we didn't even know that we could actually raise venture capital when we started. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Nivi and Naval, who wrote that Angel Hacks Bible. Uh, uh, that's how I learned everything about how funding works after we started up but while starting up we just bootstrapped through the first year and after two years with our own money before we raised angel round of capital <laughs> what, what was the hacks bible you were talking about 
so naval ravikant uh, naval ravikant who has started angel uh, angel.co right he i found this pdf called venture hacks bible in venturebeat.com he wrote this article uh-huh. in venturebeat where he had published this pdf which was like a, like a 101 on how to raise venture capital for startups that is he wrote the basics of what is a convertible debt how does venture funding work mm-hmm. and why should you bootstrap why should you um take venture money and if you take venture money how do venture capitalists think about it right so it's a mm-hmm. fundamental it's like a fast track mba about funding right you you just learn everything about that so he had like lots of wisdom packed into that one book uh, which is a free pdf available online um, i don't know if it's still available there and that's the one i picked up that was my introduction to funding itself or how the yeah. venture custom worked cool and and um so you you started not thinking about venture funding but then you somehow rolled into it um that's, that, yeah. that's right so with or without anybody's money we just wanted to build a company anyways right thought if you figure it out uh build it over two three years we see through that we thought we'll figure it out at some point of time mm-hmm. and just wanted to build a company together and then when we decided to quit and uh, start and then we pick we wanted to pick an idea then we thought okay so what which idea makes sense uh, to start solving as a problem and we wanted to pick an idea for which people will pay for and nothing better than actually helping others collect money so that they will pay us uh, so <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're getting money by getting other people money yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah and raising okay. lots of money for that right right yeah. <laughs> what what are actually your ambitions with chargeby like where do you see this whole thing going if you're like looking let's say you're looking 20 years ahead mm-hmm. what do you see interesting question um so the role of a founder right or the reason why we even started is to learn about building organizations right what i see in the last 7 years of journey is uh what an interesting journey has it been right initially we are the ones who are actually building traction for getting it off the tracks then is the next stage where we are we have to get out of the way as quickly as possible to put some smart people in charge and then get out of the way and then enable them mm-hmm. and now it is a question of figuring out where we spend our time in terms of giving the direction and having the right people on the right job to help scale the team is mm-hmm. where is our top of the mind problem right and i see that the, the faces through each phase of the growth uh, i see that the problem is getting more and more interesting and very different right and mm-hmm. uh, even if it's like for the next 20 years if this is what i need to do to actually help build charge we out and get this in the hands of as many people as possible i would love doing that so yeah. from charge we vision perspective i would definitely say we are just barely getting started in terms of the opportunity itself because pretty much around us everybody is thinking about some kind of a recurring revenue and how do i deliver recurring value and also earn money where i build a business so which means that the problem is prevalent everywhere and there mm-hmm. are uh, we are still in the very early days of imagining the solutions today we are thinking about efficiency in the solution right and then there will be this uh, next stage where we will uh, the the next stage of maturity for this category will come up where uh, there will be lot more innovation that is happening right and we are 
part of that. We are fortunate to be in that stage where we have been. We are one of the early solutions uh, with certain level of maturity in the market. Now it's our job to push the innovation in that, and then yeah. will come the next stage where over the next five years we will hit the commodity stage. Right. I think it will be very interesting to ride the wave in terms of a, how a category evolves and then uh, be known as the uh, number one true solution in the space and get this in the hands of as many people as possible. So that's yeah. what drives us to do what we are doing. Cool. So, so you're also seeing subscriptions broader than SaaS, than software as a service, or not? Uh, sorry, sorry, could you please repeat? Are you seeing like subscriptions broader than software as a service? Does it also go into other types of subscriptions, not just software as a service, but also like, let's say, uh, uh, bread as a service? Or <laughs> Right. Um, so it's not, yeah, I, I think to some extent we are seeing uh, the, yeah, so there are some crazy ideas out there in terms of all the things as a service, like, that is there. But I think the fundamental premise is that the context of a customer and the recurring relationship is where most of these things are revolving around, right? Whether it's a recurring revenue model or not is very different from how much do you know about a customer, right? Mm-hmm. Because now the uh, the bar is raised where you, the expectation as a customer, where the level of personalization that is expected is just uh, definitely several uh, not just up is the minimum expectation in terms of customer experience from most people, right? So today, if you walk into a store and then um, the level of personalization that we expect, you know, your corner store where you know that person for over 10 years is the kind of experience that we expect even in digital world or in any service, right? Especially if you are actually doing business again and again. So businesses know about each other's preference, about their customer's preference so much. And uh, payments is more about getting things done where you are delivering value and get the friction out of the way, right? And mm-hmm. there are several layers that are also coming up, right? Which is, yes, you want to deliver personalized service, but how much, where is the line that you cross where it's about privacy and too much personalization or ad push and all that versus where at what point do you actually just say, I know enough about you, but I'm not going to cross this line, right? and also be compliant with the privacy laws in different places, taxes, and things like that. So the whole payment experience has several layers where there are the, the regulatory needs, there are statutory needs, and all those that needs to get out of the way from a business operation standpoint, while at the other end of the spectrum, you also want to deliver a personalized experience to your customers. right? And all of that are essentials when you are trying to run a business. And mm-hmm. we are in the intersection of all these pieces where it's an opportunity for us to say, let we are the specialists, right? We have deep specialization in this. We understand this enough. And we will provide you an option in terms of how you can do this, right? So it's not just subscriptions or recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. It's just a recurring relationship with the customer and how do we enable this is how we see the space you want. Okay. So it's uh, it's not just charge B, it's like relationship B or... <laughs> I don't know if the name has to change. Yeah, let, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, t- talking about this, like what are some of the, the great companies or founders that you as a startup founder look up to? Um, interesting. 
Uh, definitely the Joel Spolsky uh, is someone that uh, I've always looked up to for a very long time. He is one of the inspirations why we even started up. Mm-hmm. Joel Spolsky of uh, Joy Lawns. So he used to write. So we, we all know him through Trello as well as uh, uh, Stack Overflow, right? As yeah. founder of that. Right. Uh, but before that, he was writing this very popular blog called Joy Lawns Software. I mm-hmm. think from the early 2000s. And that was one of the inspirations for us to even start up where he was putting everything out there while building the company. Uh, so that he is one of those inspirations. Uh, I definitely look up to Girish of uh, Freshness. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff Bezos for the ambition and the scale at which they are just operating and still staying nimble. Um, and definitely uh, Salesforce. That's Salesforce also. Right. Hey, sorry, man. <laughs> I no, 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 that's fine. Up, but, <laughs> but of course, right? Uh, just as a founder, you you know that the, the when you just look at how to run an organization, there is absolutely no way to ignore them. The way they wrote the first V2 mom, which is the goal-setting framework that they use, and they still use it to this day, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the church father, it actually takes like to do something like that with conviction for over 20 years and continue doing the same thing, and yet you are able to scale that same process over and over. Mm-hmm. For an organization at this level of scale is something very admirable is how I look at it. Yeah, it's very impressive. If you like, if you have LinkedIn Premium and you can like look at, at uh, companies of over 30 uh, employees, how they grow, uh, you can see that Salesforce has this, uh, even at their scale, still an enormous amount of growth. Um, very consistent. It's like a, it's like a straight line. Absolutely. Right. And, and well, yeah, so especially when you scale through, we are, we are not even, like, we are minuscule compared to them. And yet, we all know that in the company, so we, from, uh, so we have now grown from four people in an apartment to now 150 people, right? Wow. And 148 people now. And in the last one year or so, we have just added like 60, 70 people. And then the growing pains of actually adding team members, the what it takes to actually make sure that everybody executes in like in the same direction. Everybody is having clear marching orders in terms of pull a company through in the same direction. Like, and then you multiply that 100x or 1000x. And then imagine that these guys are able to pull it off. It's just phenomenal. The framework, mental framework that they use to execute. Uh, is something that you can just admire. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What are, what are some of the growing pains you're currently working on? Right. Um, one is making sure that um, we do enough one-on-ones with uh, everyone to ensure that everybody is working on the right problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so priorities is one of the biggest challenges, right? So there are, we are constantly ramping up people at the same time, we are also, the, the customer base is ramping up. So there, there are needs of, so one of the primary challenges of a product like Chargebee is we have to keep up with our customer's growth, right? Because it's billing is critical. And mm-hmm. we need to ensure that we get out of the way. Right? If you want to launch, let's say, in uh, Australia and you want to accept uh, direct debit payments um, with having an entity in Australia, then we should be able to facilitate it, right? And we have to get out of the way in a way that we, we facilitate that. Which means mm-hmm. that it's not enough for us to focus on new customers and the features that are needed for new customers. 
it's our own customers who are going through several stages of growth and for each stage of growth their needs are changing and uh, we have to keep up with it so which means that aligning the product roadmap with uh, our customers journey in a way that we are almost selling to them again in uh, or understand their growth uh, goals and uh, keep up with that while we continue to build out on our roadmap is a constant challenge so priority in product roadmap priority in hiring and also making sure that people are working on the right problems i think those are the top three things uh, that consumes most of our time right now and you're mostly doing that doing one on ones with your management team uh well multiple techniques one is one on ones the other is making sure that there is uh, we break it down in a way that it's communicated well right and then working uh, on better communication in terms of it actually there, there is it's it's never enough right there you say okay especially when you're onboarding new people and then you're uh, ramping up the team it is extremely important that everybody understands the mission and then what we are after what are the current goals and mm-hmm. how we are growing and uh, so one on one is one of those techniques and then continuously doing uh, uh, having check-ins with uh, most of the leadership team and also having uh, regular uh, meetings with most of the team right and and also working on constant communication where there's periodic updates to the team of things that uh, that are taking up most of the time now how how often do you kind of like repeat your mission and vision is it is it like facebook at the beginning of every meeting or <laughs> no we don't actually the the funny thing is we don't have a statement as such yet right mm. we all know what so for us it has always been driven by the the customers in the sense of the customers lens which is mm-hmm. uh, so the the way you want to try to phrase this is from the world of customers uh, viewpoint and say what problem is this customer going through and how are we solving it right is how we have always articulated and uh, the funny thing is for charge we we still don't have don't have like a vision or a mission statement that we have officially put out yeah so it's more a belief <laughs> at this point it's like belief that right. if you focus entirely on the customers everything will turn out well correct right pretty much everything revolves around okay so here is a problem and here are the types of customers that we serve and here is how we serve it right and these are our uh these are the frameworks for decision um, when it comes to the the decision making process here is how we make decisions right that it's pretty much at that level mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it's really evolving yeah how does your your day personally look like like how is it structured uh so my day starts around uh, 9:30 in the morning right it starts with me uh, getting my kids to school and then straight to office and uh, i start off with mostly spending time on uh, the early discussions with either marketing team where uh, it's fresh in mind and then we discuss about uh, some of the topics related where uh, there are um, we hash out uh, topics that are necessary in terms of experimentation at this point of time right um mm-hmm. that's one um then it continues with uh, mostly my check-ins with uh, so i i try to spend the next two hours to get most of my things out of the way before the entire team is in like mm-hmm. till 12 or 1 o'clock and then it's mostly time spent in enabling others um so it's mostly the status updates interviews um um or the customer calls 
and that mm-hmm. goes on till about uh, 4:30 or 5 o'clock in the evening right i work out of chennai most of the times i also spend some time in san francisco every few months but my typical um cycle in chennai is like this right about 4:30 5 o'clock i take a break i go home for a few hours um, then i come back at about uh, 5 7 7:30 at night um and then i have a few more calls that goes on till about 9:30 or 10 o'clock and then i go back home yeah that's how it looks like now <laughs> and your day looks different when you're in san francisco absolutely i actually have my most of my day free for just customer conversations and mm-hmm. it leaves like a lot of time for thinking and reading and all that if i'm in san francisco it actually feels very different and yeah. for me <laughs> the experience of actually once i started making these trips to san francisco to meet customers uh, and also set up the team there uh, suddenly started making me realize that um, only when you are actually here you fill your day up by meetings and it is totally okay for you to actually block your team time in the calendar and then spend more time for yourself is something that i realized because the team starts making better decision themselves when you get mm-hmm. out of it. so which means that actually spending traveling and meeting customers the best part was the realization that especially early on when we were like 20 30 people i always used to be in customer support sales conversations and you used to be the in the the front of most of these things right and there is this fear of actually letting go to the the people that you have brought on where you are still part of most of the discussions or, or they keep asking you hey i'm doing this this is okay then and then you're blessing for most decisions and then you realize that suddenly you start traveling and meeting customers the you they suddenly realize that okay you're not around right and they need to make the decision but the best part about this is most of the time you the, the team that you have built together and you have worked with the early team they are already know what's the right decision right because they know the framework with which you make decisions right if somebody mm-hmm. says hey i need to cancel or the customer says i'm going through this issue what do we do they already know that you are going to put the customers interest first and then here is how you would make the decision if that is the case right there is no need to actually check in with you as a founder before making the decision and when you are not there they are just likely to do send a foa message and then they would have already moved on with making the decision moving on right so it's totally okay even if the decision is wrong yeah so teach, teaching the people difference between reversible decisions and irreversible decisions and allowing them giving them the freedom to make the decision was the best thing to happen once you start traveling for me that was the biggest learning uh, to actually scale the team yeah just letting go just the <laughs> fact that you're gone you let go and and everything still keeps running right right yeah and then you trust the team better right to actually continue scaling the team yeah and then it basically also frees up your mind and your energy to to build further exactly exactly Yeah yeah I actually I I also had this for the first time um beginning of this year I went to my my wife's Brazilian we went to Brazil and it was the first time that I got to actually let go like before I was always involved in everything uh and then just everything kept running it felt so freeing uh because it uh, at at that point you feel like okay I can now apply my energy on a on a different level absolutely right yeah. yeah so which functions do you handle at salesflare now uh currently um um none really i mean i i do the this kind of things um like uh, podcasts 
I do all kinds of uh, sales positions, let's say, like mm-hmm. uh, for this podcast, but for integrations, for um, uh, partnerships, for you know, a bunch of things like that. I have a lot of pipelines in Salesforce. Um, and then next to that, it's just the, the hiring, uh, keeping a check on finance. And, uh, yeah, those are the main things. I mean, I'm, I'm still very much involved in marketing, but it's mm-hmm. actually Ali doing it. Um, so I'm less needed. So it can <laughs> run by itself without me. Uh, it's just that we need more than one person on it now because we're a relatively smart, small team mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of work. And the marketing team is the one that needs the most help right now. Uh, so I'm, uh, working on it and my co-founder Levin is, is actually also working on it, but then more uh, on a technical level. Uh, like there's a lot of technical marketing going on and he takes care of that. Uh, Wonderful. So, uh, we just apply our energy in, uh, still in a, in a, um, in a way, like we see where, where, where we are needed and we jump in there. Right. Um, we're not at a point yet that everything is like, uh, we're not a huge organization where it's all about scaling and I need to put my energy into scaling on the one side, uh, hiring the right people and making sure that everything is communicated. Well, we're still eight. We sit around one table. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything is very easily communicated, which doesn't mean that we don't communicate super actively and have meetings and, uh, to align, uh, on a regular basis, uh, and have all these processes to make sure that everything runs like a machine. Uh, but we're not, um, busy scaling that, let's say. Right. 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 Wonderful. Thanks. And are you bootstrapped funded? We are, uh, half bootstrapped. Like we have, <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have EC funding. But we have okay. uh, a bunch of business angels on board. Uh, mm-hmm. We got some local subsidies, then had some loans for a while, but they're almost paid off. Uh, in the beginning, our, our very first money was a, an accelerator giving us a, a sort of grant. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got the money a bit from everywhere. Uh, and more and more, it's coming from customers. Like uh, the, the gap between... Uh, Revenue and cost is uh, is quickly closing, which is a good thing. Wonderful, brilliant. Yeah, right. Right. I clearly maybe remember. by the time this goes live, uh, we'll be break even. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> My best best wishes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, back to back to you, perhaps. Um, like you you mentioned that you work until nine or ten in the evening. How do you keep, I mean, how do you keep work and life kind of in balance in that case? Uh, because it seems like you're spending an enormous amount of time in, on your company. Um, question. I do. Uh, but I also feel like it's not the same as the early days, right? Where it used to be, um, especially after shipping the product, right? Through the early stage and especially for B2B SaaS, right? We tend to find customers, and especially if you are finding customers through inbound marketing, you tend to find customers from different time zones. And which means that early days, we used to work six days a week. Uh, 
mm-hmm. including Saturdays and actually seven days a week, right? If customer support comes in, anytime yeah. somebody signs up and in two minutes, you are like jumping on the opportunity and then you are so enthusiastic, you are glad somebody signed up to try your product and then you're reaching out to them, right? And yeah. it's always used to be 24 bar seven early on, right? And then that infectious enthusiasm through those early days is something else. Um, so it's now it's like, okay, so you have processes and the team to take care of most of the 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 rigor that is needed in every function. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly the time is spent in enabling others. And because the team is in San Francisco and also in Chennai, it's important to ensure that uh, we, I allocate enough time to interface with both time zones and also keep enough time to continuously stay connected with customers, right? Just because there is customer support, success, and sales, we, yeah. um, I cannot, I don't want to take a back seat, right? We, our ears needs to be um, close to the ground to actually listen to the customers' uh, feedback. That's how we build a better product. So from a balance perspective, I think it's just intense five days of work now, right? And then two days where you actually, I get a lot of time to spend with the family mm-hmm. or on Saturdays, I mostly spend time in the Chennai local startup ecosystem or either meeting uh, other startups uh, or interviewing people outside where actively pursuing some candidates who probably should be joining us, but uh, it's mostly evangelizing and making sure that you build a pipeline of talent. Uh, yeah. But it's all casual work, right? On Saturdays or Sundays is where uh, most of the time is spent. And so I, I have a young family. I have two boys, eight and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so Saturdays and Sundays are mostly spent with family or some of this casual kind of networking work. Uh, but it's intense five days of work. And I actually feel like it's it's amazing right, compared to the early days where it was intense, very different to the scaling stage where uh, it's the five days of recur and then two days off, you refresh and then you come back. So it's yeah. actually much, much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's becoming much more stable and sustainable, I guess. Correct. That's right. You're based in, in Chennai, you mentioned a few times. Yes. Is, is, is it a good place to have your, your startup? <laughs> Any place where we start a company is a good place. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, So this is home of... Uh, so this is where Zoho is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so there are a bunch of others, uh, some really good SaaS companies coming out of Chennai. And uh, so Chennai is the southeast part of India, closer to the beach. Uh, it's we only have three seasons: hot, hotter, hottest. It's like <laughs> hot. <laughs> uh, but it's nice. This is home, uh, and this is where we started the company. I used to live in US for about three and a half, four years uh, in my previous job, mm-hmm. uh, and came back to uh, live in Chennai so that at some point of time I can start up. Uh, it's a good place. So there is Hornscape, which is building Kissflow as a product, which is the the BPM, Business Process Management product. Mm-hmm. There is Unmetric, Freshworks, uh, Charge B, Index. Uh, Index is a data as a service company. Yeah. Uh, and so there are a bunch of others uh, who are building some really, doing some really good work and some very good promising startups coming up in Chennai. Nice. So they're looking good, right, as an ecosystem. <laughs> nice. Slowly wrapping up, um, what's the latest good book you've read and, and why did you choose to read it? Right. Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella is something that I thoughtly enjoyed. Um, for How come? 
I'm sorry. How come? Um, so the for the challenges of Microsoft as a company with a lot of people leaving and then getting disenchanted, right? Especially mm-hmm. inside out, people were just not happy. Meaning they're not inspired by the journey that Microsoft was going through, and then. you suddenly see that an insider right somebody who has been part of the system for 20 years is able to reset perspectives and it's a book that is almost like it's not written for the world it's almost like written for fellow microsoft employees mm-hmm. to help change their perspective and it's refreshing really good the, the title itself is like really good yeah. i would highly recommend that uh, as a good read right as a leader how much of a difference you can actually make by resetting perspectives of such even such a large organization then there is hope for everybody to believe that at any point of time you can actually hit the reset button to do better yeah i i found it really good uh, mindset by carol dweck uh, was something that i thoroughly enjoyed and interestingly satya nadella also dedicated one full chapter in his book which only talks about the growth mindset versus fixed mindset mm-hmm. uh, And, and quoted a lot of things verbatim from Carol Dweck's mindset book, which is also a very good one that I would highly recommend. Um, I think. Um, What sorry, did you learn from the mindset book? Um, more about people and perspectives, especially when you are interviewing for candidates. Right uh, now, most of the interviews that I spend time is all about. Uh, bar, it's more like a bar raiser is how I go in for many of the interviews. and it's important it it gives you the framework with which you actually try and understand someone which is uh, what lens do they use to look at the world right how, mm-hmm. how how they when when somebody has moved like four jobs or five jobs and have spent like 10 years in the industry right and do they are they still learning on the job right or do they feel like i know are they a know it all or a learn it all is something that you understand uh by looking at it by actually talking to that person and this book is full of anecdotal examples uh things that actually teaches you the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and so it doesn't matter how many years of experience somebody has but what matters is are they still learning right are they in that still learning mode is more important so it does yeah. not if somebody has like 20 years or 15 years of experience doing the same thing but is very fixed in their ways thinking i know everything right that's probably not the person you want in the company even though you need to scale things right they are going to be coming in thinking uh yeah i know this right so the baggage of unlearning is very hard but somebody comes in saying okay i know this but i'm going to use all my experience to make better distance but i'm going to learn on the job then actually that's a better framework so for yeah. me yeah that that is the biggest takeaway reading that book yeah how how do you probe for this in a consistent way like how do you actually get to know whether someone is is know it all or learn it all <laughs> uh the way they ask questions right so mm-hmm. we don't need people who already know all the answers we actually look for people who are able to ask better questions right so apart from knowing about the job function the tools techniques and all that that they have used in the past what we also do is we take up uh, we try to customize and come up with one problem statement or one problem that they are likely to solve together right in the job right let's say they are coming into the job especially in leader function the first 30 to 90 days they may be attempting to solve a problem so we try to write that problem down in a google doc mm-hmm. and then we at a very high level we write the problem and then say ask them to take a stab at it right very interesting thing is you most people 
in the interest of actually trying to impress you will jump at giving you solutions mm-hmm. but very few people actually ask you better questions yeah and then you contribute with answers and they ask better questions right the, the way in which somebody actually breaks down a problem before trying to give a solution versus somebody who already has a solution who already thinks i have all the solutions makes a world of difference right? yeah i think that tells you the difference between someone who has all the solutions versus the one who's saying i have the toolkit to find out ask the right questions and then the solution will emerge by itself right i think that's one of those techniques that has worked for us yeah yeah sounds good i fully agree like a uh, last question now um what's the best piece of advice you ever got um while starting up um one of the vice presidents in my previous company he pulled me up to say krish i know you're quitting this is your last day but he said okay uh, and this is my first company and he knew that i was going to bootstrap with uh, our money and mm-hmm. he said okay whatever you do just make sure there are two things he said to remember one make sure that you stick around for 36 months to try to give it all to ensure that you figure out something right if you see through 36 months you are more likely to have figured out something right? mm-hmm. whatever that is number two he said don't change the lifestyle of your family so i was already married had a kid by the time i quit he said okay just make sure that you don't change the lifestyle for your family because if you do that if you make them go through difficult times that will make you feel guilty and if you start feeling guilty then you will give up soon so just make sure that if you are used to like uh, second ac second <laughs> the the you are used to taking flights from one city to another make sure that you continue doing that if you are used to cars don't switch to bikes uh at least for your family right it's okay whatever you go through that's totally okay but just don't make just make sure that you don't make your family go through any difficulty uh then everything will be okay and that's actually like a lot of wisdom packed in those two things um i it over a period of time when you actually go through that where your bank balance is going down and then you are actually bootstrapping your company money is not coming in but all of it is spent through the first two years it's actually a difficult uh, time when you need to see through that and it's extremely important that you actually find balance between family and your work life but without it's is they are already they didn't sign up for that part of the journey right the emotional turmoil so it's important to ensure that you protect them in in by doing that you are protecting yourself or committing yourself to continue this part of the journey i think that's my biggest learning uh, or advice that i got in the early stage Uh, which help us help me great advice thank you for being on founder coffee krish thanks so much it was fun thank you thank you that's it for this episode of founder coffee we hope you liked it let the world know if you did thanks for listening guys 